here. This is not about politics. This is about morality. Health emergencies can't wait for us to have some theoretical debate about some better idea that will never, ever come to pass. We are behind every country pretty nearly in Europe in this matter of medical care for our citizens. I'm a physician. That means you have a right to come to my house and conscript me. It means you believe in slavery. I am Benjamin Day. And I'm Stephanie Nakajima. And this is Medicare for All, the podcast for everybody who needs health care. Except for DNC chair Tom Perez for supporting the rapist who's taking over his party. Oh, we're coming in with some soft takes here, Stephanie. (laughs) Tell me why. So you may have heard uh, Tara Reid is a former aide to Biden. She has credibly accused him of sexually assaulting her in 1993. Um, And I've just been watching in horror as, you know, big Me Too figures like Alyssa Milano and our party leaders who were really, you know, outspoken about the allegations against Kavanaugh and have, you know, heralded this whole Believe Women and Harvey Weinstein and everything. They've they've been either silent or dismissive about the allegations. Um, And Tom Perez, who's the chair of the DNC and sort of therefore like the leader of the party, he has the power to signal whether or not the Democratic Party is going to unify around a candidate. Um, And especially in light of these allegations, it might be it might be good to reassess that. And just yesterday he said, you know, he didn't make any mention of, of what she had, had said. And she said that he said that he expects Democrats to unify around Biden. Yeah. I mean, we know that this is going to come up in the general elections, obviously. Um, Trump, of all people, I mean, it, it's hard to imagine him using this, but you know he's going to use this, right? Um, he even, remember, he you know, he had brought like those Clinton um accusers to when he he gave his uh speech i mean he's this is going to become an issue i think it's a terrible mistake for democrats to like head their uh stick their head in the sand and suddenly like abandon their me too principles um just because you know this is uh the candidate that they're relying on to to win this election yeah exactly i mean not only is it morally bankrupt to dismiss these allegations but it's also just bad politics yeah. i mean if your moral moral compass uh like relies on you know do we need this person to win something or not then you don't have a moral compass it turns out well fortunately the medicare for all movement uh keeps rolling yeah so let's talk about uh the news of the week, the fight for having a relief bill that actually addresses what is going to be a massive health insurance crisis is on. Um, so we had a bill introduced by Representative Jayapal and Bernie Sanders in the Senate. Um, and then just uh, today, actually, as we're recording this, this will be yesterday as you're listening, um, Nancy Pelosi and House leadership, uh, Democratic leadership in the House came out with a different proposal, we haven't seen language yet, um, but this is clearly going to be the two kind of competing visions for a next relief bill from the Democratic side. Um, so far, icy silence from the Republican side. Um, we don't even know if they're going to support another like relief bill at all. Um, 
but although I think the pressure is just going to become uh, hard to avoid once all of this unemployment leads to lack of insurance soon. Um, so the basic overview, let's let why don't we start with the Sanders uh, Jayapal bill since that came out first. Um, what they've proposed, and these, of course, are the lead sponsors of the Medicare for All legislation in the House and in the Senate. Um, and this is not a Medicare for All proposal, but it's kind of a stopgap proposal during the coronavirus crisis. So what they've said is that Medicare should cover everyone who does not have health insurance um, uh, and that Medicare will cover all co-payments and deductibles and cost sharing for everyone else. That's for people who have private insurance, who have public insurance, um, like Medicaid or the Veterans Administration, um, or Medicare for that matter, um, and that that will uh, last in effect until a vaccine is widely available to the public. Um, and the thinking, of course, is that we literally just cannot address this pandemic without everyone having access to health care. Um, otherwise, everyone who's slipped through the cracks of the healthcare system is going to be uh, is going to be um, unable to access care, avoiding care when they need it, and more likely to spread uh, the contagion. So, Stephanie, what do you think about um, this proposal that came out of uh, Rep. Jayapal and Senator Sanders' office? Well, when I first heard about this proposal, I thought it was perfect because it gives us a way to sort of expand public health insurance, um, and it also fulfills the moderate concerns about, you know, allowing people to stay on their health insurance right. and, you know, all the stupid rationales for supporting a public option versus Medicare mm -hmm. for all. Um, and that has always been the moderate case against Medicare for all, right? It's like too disruptive. Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe, yeah, Med Medicare for all is in theory better, but people are just so happy with their private insurance. <laughs> who am I? Who are we to argue with them? And maybe they would like need a chance to try it out, you know, and, and that's the... Um, impetus behind the whole public option. And, you know, they always say that, the, of course, the goal is universal health care, but what's the pathway? How do we get there? You know, the details matter. Mm -hmm. Well, here's y'all's chance. You know, millions kicked off their insurance by no fault of their own um, at a time when it's not actually safe to go outside. Um, but as far as I know, no other members of Congress besides Sanders and Jayapal have supported this plan. Yeah, I don't even know if it's been, you know, uh, they've barely rolled it out. It just came off the shelf. So we're, I think us, the, the movement, are going to have to build support for this bill. Um, and, you know, uh, it's interesting because this plan is kind of like some of the competing plans that, um, you know, the centrists who were running for president were running on. Um, this doesn't resemble like the Biden-Buttigieg plan, but it is kind of what like Beto O'Rourke was was backing it's a little bit like we'll cover everyone with a public plan but we'll keep somehow the the private health insurance and the wor workplace health insurance um, and I think the reason it's important to acknowledge why this is not a replacement for Medicare for all and it needs to be temporary um, is the cost right the, the the downside of doing it this way is that you don't get most of the savings that you get from a Medicare for all system which really comes from like simplifying the system and you're cutting out all this administrative waste hospitals and doctors only have to deal with one payer they don't have to deal with 50 different payers um, and 
that's how Medicare for All works. By creating all those savings, you can afford to cover everyone else and afford to have no copayments and deductibles. Um, it is much more expensive to do it this way, to like keep the private insurance companies in there, keep all this complication and waste in the system, and expand coverage to everyone. Um, but I think you can do it temporarily as like a stopgap measure. Um, and so I think it would be a, a good stepping stone. Um, and people, you know, we literally cannot address this crisis with more and more people losing access to health insurance. So I think it'll be an interesting uh, fight. Yeah, and it could arguably be even less expensive than giving subsidies to private health insurers oh, um, God. who yeah. <laughs> yeah, who um, may just end up pocketing, you know, well, obviously we'll end up pocketing the profits, but also we'll not be actually giving out any care um, outside of probably a lot of coronavirus care because people aren't actually going to the doctor for anything else right now. Yeah, that's a fact. That's not arguably. <laughs> that's a, it, is, it would definitely be cheaper to um, to cover people through expanding Medicare than it would be through throwing money at private insurance. Um, and on that note, uh, Stephanie, do you want to give us like the lowdown on the Pelosi proposal that came out right. just uh, today? So brave new Nancy Pelosi uh, proposal here. Uh, her version of the bill uh, would give laid off or furloughed workers a way to stay on their health insurance plan at no cost to them by subsidizing their private insurance through the COBRA program. So just to overview on COBRA, um, it's been around since the 80s. Uh, it allows laid off workers to keep buying into their health insurance plans so they have a bit of continuity of care. They don't get kicked off their networks and their copays and deductibles don't reset or anything. Um, and typically this way of you know, doing it is really expensive because, uh, you know, for a person who has to buy into COBRA, you have to pay all of a sudden the full cost of the insurance premium. So, you know, before when you're employed, your employer would actually pay um, usually a fairly large part of your mm -hmm. insurance plan. Mm -hmm. um, but what COBRA does is say, well, lucky you, you get to pay both the individual and the employer part. And that yep. is on average $7,200 for an individual uh, annually and more than $20,000 for a family. Yeah. If you've ever known anyone who's who has been laid off or <laughs> furloughed and has looked into COBRA, it is shocking how much this is what the moment where you actually realize how much health insurance costs when your employer is paying none of it. Um, and but let, let's look at this whole program as like this is being now proposed as the Democratic vision for what they're going to fight for. Um, at least Democratic leadership is going to fight for during this upcoming relief bill. Um, and let's talk about how limited this is, because a lot of people cannot get COBRA, right? Um, obviously, COBRA is not available to anyone who did not uh, was not already getting health care through their workplace. If you lose your job and you didn't have health insurance to start with, you're not going to get it after being laid off. Um, but there's also all these small print, right? So COBRA is not available for anyone who works for a small employer. Um, if your employer has less than 20 employees, which is actually a lot of the workplace, uh, you aren't eligible for COBRA. Um, and also, if you have to buy your health insurance on your own through the exchange, you are also not eligible for COBRA. Uh, this is going to be a lot of anyone who d works like in a non-traditional work work environment. If you're a contractor, if you're like an artist, if you um, basically have, have your own, if you're self-employed, 
all those categories are not going to be eligible for this. Um, and the other major problem with just uh, trying to subsidize COBRA coverage is that if uh, when you get COBRA, you are literally still buying the healthcare through your former employer. So you you contact them, you enroll through them, um, and you are paying them for the coverage. Um, but if your former employer closes down their health plan altogether, you are also not eligible for COBRA anymore, <laughs> um, which during the scale of this economic crisis is going to be such that a lot of these people who are being fully furloughed, fully laid off, the employers are uh, have lost the, all of their business. They've basically shut down operations. And they are also likely going to shut down their entire health care plans, which means that COBRA's, subsidizing COBRA is just not even going to be an option. Yeah, I mean, as disappointing as the Democrats usually are, I just can't believe that this was their starting shot. Right. You know, this looks like something that has already been eviscerated by the GOP mm-hmm. and rounds and rounds of, you know, uh, congressional feeding frenzy. I don't I can't believe this is where they they're they're starting. This is what you call bargaining against yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is actually kind of I was I was wondering, like, what is the Republican position going to be on addressing the health care crisis? <laughs> Um, and I was having a hard time finding out. I mean, obviously, repealing Obamacare is not going to be their position, I don't <laughs> think, during this moment. So I had kind of thought maybe they would come up with something that's like, let's do heavy public subsidies for private health insurance. Um, and then also like something that's like targeting the deserving poor. I'm, I'm saying that in quotation marks. Um, you know, people who were formerly, you know, fully um, had, you know, kind of positions of privilege had middle-class full-time jobs with good health insurance and that's basically what this is from the democrats right um the folks who would be eligible for a cobra are generally the more privileged folks who have full-time traditional jobs with good health care coverage um and so this is going to be for them and then everyone else is just going to be screwed yeah. I mean, when I read this bill, given it, you know, it's going to cover at most 4 million people right now, probably more as more people actually lose their coverage. But right now, 4 million out of, you know, it's just a weird solution to the problem of 30, 40 million people right now uninsured mm-hmm. um, and counting during, you know, pandemic, you know, subsidies for people with decent employer benefits and then thoughts and prayers for the other 10 to right. 20% of Americans without insurance. Um, and this, the whole concept that it's mostly low-wage workers who don't have a lot of resources to fall back on, who didn't have insurance to begin with, we're actually going to legislate around them somehow and just leave them out. And it turns out that the reason that this bill ended up this way is because it's not solving the problem of all these people uninsured. It's not attempting to solve that problem um, because it was written by insurance companies. And I got the smoking gun (laughs) right here, Ben. I got it. Um, In a letter addressed to the leaders of both chambers, uh, AHIP, which stands for the America's Health Insurance Plans, and the CEO of Blue Cross Blue Shield suggested that Congress do the following, quote, for individuals who lose their employer-sponsored coverage, we ask Congress to ensure the affordability of premiums, dot, dot, dot. For terminated or furloughed employees, we recommend that Congress provide temporary full federal subsidization of COBRA premiums. 
right wow, there. Wow, that's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the other thing, of course, that, that AHIP and the insurance industry is calling for um, is that um, is is that there's full federal funding of coronavirus care, right? So that insurance companies would not have to pay for coronavirus screening or treatment, um, and that the federal government would pay for that, and the insurance company can focus on making money off of all the other categories of care. So let me make sure um, I understand this, Ben. Mm-hmm. So they're not going to have to pay for insurance companies are not going to have to pick up the tab for all the coronavirus testing and treatment. And then on top of that, they also aren't going to have to pay for all the other treatment that's going undone because everybody's in the hospital right now with coronavirus. That's what they're aiming for. It should be a windfall, a massive windfall for insurance companies. If both of these positions, which they have called on Congress for, and which it now appears Democratic leadership is fighting for, um, come to pass, um, which is pretty stunning. I want to give um, a shout out to All On Medicare, which is the Twitter account that actually alerted me to this uh, COBRA um, bid by AHIP. They've actually just posted it right on the AHIP uh, website for everyone mm-hmm. to read that this was a direct lobbying effort by <laughs> AHIP to Congress. Yeah. And, you know, one of the weirdest things, I taking kind of a bigger picture political view um when i think about just the last you know four or five years of healthcare politics um one of the strange things is that republicans the republican party has generally come to like align with an anti-corporate position on healthcare reform um this sounds really strange because generally republican party is fairly pro-corporate um but they're position of repealing the Affordable Care Act was just very strongly opposed by pretty much the whole healthcare industry um, because the ACA has been pumping money, extra money, federal money into the healthcare industry and into the pockets of a lot of these health insurance, uh, healthcare middlemen. So hospitals and, and community health centers obviously were very strongly opposed to repealing the Affordable Care Act. Insurance companies generally were also. Um, and then Got pharma wins no matter what happens, I think, under all circumstances. Um, but <laughs> the Democratic Party has become more and more aligned with like a pro-corporate position <laughs> on healthcare in general. Like, um, I mean, it's both a more moral position because they believe in expanding access to care, but the, the centrist, the kind of corporate Democratic position has been, let's expand access to care and but do it through subsidizing and basically buying off all of these um, corporate entities in the healthcare system. We'll just throw more money at insurers. We'll throw more money at hospitals and pharma and that they will use that money to sort of expand coverage incrementally. Um, So, and here we are, right? We are now at a moment where the democratic position on, on, on healthcare relief during this crisis seems to be indistinguishable from that of the health insurance industry. Yeah, isn't that basically the definition of neoliberalism right there? Advocating I, for the uh, fulfillment of rights and needs through the marketplace. Yeah. What really enrages me is like, what are we doing here? Are we trying to address this pandemic? Or are we just trying to like mitigate the political blowback from all the people who are going to be laid off and lose their health insurance? Because it looks like that's what the Democratic Party is focused on right at this moment, right? It's like, hey... 
especially, you know, union members who are going to be laid off, um, who are more likely to have had health insurance, although not all of them have health insurance. Um, Is this just like a let's try and keep the the more privileged workers um, who are core to the Democratic Party happy? And then everyone else, you're on your own. And we're also not addressing the pandemic in any way. Yeah. Um, so it, it is demoralizing, but it's also in the early stages of this fight. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how, the, how this is going to go over with the public, to be honest. Well, fortunately, Joe Biden, the uh, champion of the working class, is going to change all of that for us. Oh, um, I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> so... Joe Biden has come out with a proposal to, and brace yourselves, lower the age of Medicare all the way down to 60. Mm. What do you think, Ben? Well, as some of our allies have said, uh, Joe, what do you? What's the six in that figure doing? <laughs> like, <laughs> drop the six, and it's a decent proposal. Um, you know, I'm of mixed mind. I mean, when you look at the timing of this announcement. Um, I mean, lowering the age of Medicare is 60. Um, I would support that. I think it is kind of an increment, a, a real incremental step towards Medicare for all, unlike a mm-hmm. lot of other things that are kind of touted as an incremental step. Um, it It's really out of the blue. It doesn't fit with any of Joe Biden's proposals that he made during the campaign trail or that he's made like in how we respond to coronavirus. Um, but I looked at the timing and on April 8th, Bernie suspended his campaign and on April 9th, Biden announced this proposal and he announced it in the same post as he also announced a proposal for forgiving student loan debt, uh, for people who attend public college, which I don't know, it's also might be something that kind of aligns with a certain candidate, <laughs> the, <laughs> the presidential candidate, former, formerly known as Bernie Sanders. <laughs> Um, so either this was a negotiated compromise between the Biden and Sanders camps, which is possible, uh, maybe behind the scenes, uh, Biden agreed to like give a little ground and move a little bit towards the Sanders camp, or it was just like a flat out bid to try and buy off, uh, buy the support of, of Bernie supporters across the country. (laughs) But will it work? Will it work? I don't know. Um, I, I think. It'll depend on how much he actually, you know, is this window dressing or is he actually going to fight for this? I don't know. Yeah, well, he does actually have um, a specific response to the coronavirus crisis, um, which is that he wants basically just to reopen the exchange. Even that very small step, he is not actively out there fighting for, so... Biden's uh, proposal to reopen the federal exchange, the federal Obamacare exchange, so that anybody can enroll in an ACA plan, whether or not they met a certain qualifying life event, which is, you know, usually the standard for whether or not you can enroll in the middle of the Mm -hmm. year, you have to have lost your job or had a child or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so there's been a sort of a call for Trump to open the federal exchange so anybody right now in light of the coronavirus can buy health insurance. Um, And of course, Trump doesn't want to do that. (laughs) He doesn't want to give the ACA any credit for having done anything. Um, And yet Mm -hmm. the sad irony here is that even if he did do it, which he should do, you know, um, I don't think that a lot of people are, that's going to affect a lot of people's lives. I mean, those people started this year saying, I'm not going to buy health insurance. And that was more than likely a 
financial decision that they had to make about whether or not they could afford Mm -hmm. health insurance. And now with the huge economic crisis, it's even less likely that they're going to be able to afford health insurance. Um, And so while I think, of course, anybody should be able to buy buy, or just have health insurance whenever (laughs) they they need it, um, reopening the exchange is not a panacea in any way, shape or form. It's just going to create more financial hardship for people who who have to struggle with, you know, deciding between buying health Mm -hmm. insurance and other things. Yeah, this is this illustrates how wonderful marketplace solutions are to healthcare coverage. (laughs) Um, I mean, the whole idea of the exchanges was like, yeah, the market will offer you better options and, you know, lower prices. Um, but the, the reason that they even have enrollment periods where it's like you can only enroll at a certain time of the year in the exchange is because they're attempting to crack down on what they call free riders, <laughs> people who like will wait until they get sick and th- will then enroll in the exchange plan. Um, and then as soon as they're better, will disenroll and stop paying premiums. Um, and they don't want to just, you know, cover you when you need it. Um, uh, so this is the whole reason that they created these things. But of course we are in the middle of a pandemic. (laughs) I think you actually do want to cover people when they get sick. (laughs) Um, and we want to pay for it collectively as a society. That's the whole goal. Um, so it's just like another, yet another layer of how like all of the incentives of a market-based system are run exactly opposite to what you need to do to address a pandemic, but also really just to provide healthcare to society. So I, I think there is a way we can all give back. We like to close with some sort of an action step. Um, and I want to give some love to our postal office workers, uh, postal service workers. Um, so this is a situation people might not know about, but um, obviously postal service workers are one of these frontline jobs who are just like highly at risk of, 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 of contracting coronavirus, uh, but keep showing up to work, keep doing their job. Um, but the, the postal service itself is in danger of going under, basically going bankrupt. Um, according to some projecting projections, uh, the USPS could run out of money as early as June. And the reason is of course, that, uh, use of the postal service has just plummeted during this economic crisis. Um, a lot of um, businesses are dropping their use of, of the Postal Service just because they're going under or they're temporarily suspending their operations. Um, but their costs have actually been going up to uh, keep the service running, but also to address all the, the needs of coronavirus, of protecting their workers. Um, so um, there's two way, two important ways where this like overlaps with Medicare for all. Uh, one is that people don't always think about this, but the Postal Service is actually a very important part of our healthcare system uh, because they deliver prescription drugs to your house. Uh, lots of people get mail order of prescription drugs, especially people in rural areas, especially older people. I would consider that an um, essential service with or without a that pandemic. Is, that is 100% essential <laughs> service. And they were actually created in the U.S. Constitution. Having a postal service is considered kind of a foundational part of, uh, of our country. Um, it's also one way that people are actually like staying in touch with each other while they're isolated in their homes. Um, but another thing, and this is something that a lot of people don't know about, um, is that U.S. Postal Service receives zero tax dollars. Uh, they are fully funded by the stamps that you buy. Um, but they have been uh, financially hemorrhaging 
since 2006, but only because of a bill passed by Congress. So Congress passed a bill in 2006 that requires the Postal Service to pre-fund retiree health care costs 75 years in advance. This means they have to estimate what their retiree health care costs are going to be 75 years from now, and they have to have that money in the bank right now. Um, so it, it caused an immediate financial crisis. Obviously, no business in the country or in the world is required to do this or does do this, even if they're being very fiscally sound. Um, and, you know, how do you even project health care costs 75 years into the future? I'm not sure we're going to have a health care system in 75 years. Um so if you have experienced, um, if you've had like bad experiences at your post office in the last 15 <laughs> years, like maybe you've had to wait in a long line or something, this is the reason why. It's because um, basically postal workers who haven't even been born yet are having their retirements fully funded. Exactly. Yeah, this is like four generations in advance. Um, and because of that, they the post office immediately had to do staffing reductions. They had to shorten their hours of operation. Um, so this is why we have these long waits in the post office. So do not blame your post office, uh, blame Congress. <laughs> um, and so this, you know, they were already pushed to the brink by this weird health care requirement that was imposed on them. And obviously, if we had Medicare for all, they wouldn't have to prefund their retiree health care costs because their retirees would be covered. Um, so uh, there is a petition out there to demand that Congress uh, support the Postal Service. Um, the relief bill that passed uh, did not include any support or um, uh, or you know funds to help the postal service keep going. Even though all these other industries got bailouts, like you know the uh, other like infrastructure industries, like um, you know like the air, airline services. So uh, we're gonna send you guys. A, we're gonna put a link in the show notes. Um, but you can also just look for, you know, tell Congress during this pandemic, support our postal service, our, our public postal service. And there's a petition up on the Action Network that we really encourage you to sign. And we want to stand in solidarity with our, our brothers and sisters in the Postal, postal Workers Union. 